coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. You know, we plan as a group. We challenge each other, whether you're the commander or not. We challenge. That's the way it is. Like, diversity rocks because if you think you have all the answers, then that's where the problem starts because you're going to overlook something. If you look down your nose at stuff, you won't see what's going on. Thanks a million for tuning in today. We've got a great guest coming up for you, Ray Goggins. Just before we get there, and as usual, we have to say a massive thank you to Hawora as the overarching sponsor of the show. It provides us with the ability to distill lessons from all of our guests to you, the audience. And alongside that, thank you to everyone who listens, who gives feedback, who supports the show. We are truly grateful when we see a message or interaction or hearing that the show has impacted someone. So just to say, we really appreciate it and please continue to support the show. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with Ray Goggins, Director at Core Skill Training, Chief Instructor of the RT Television Special Forces Ultimate Hell Week and author of Ranger 22. Ray served in the Special Forces Task Unit as a senior NCO as part of the Irish Defence Forces. His vast operation experience and went on many deployments to hostile environments and conflict zones. A specialist in anti-terrorism and hostage rescue, maritime counter-terrorism and combat diving, Ray was an expert in surveillance, recon and intelligence and a special ops instructor, physical trainer, and manager. We started this chat about his new book, Ranger 22, Lessons from the Front, why he had to write that book. Ray explains how the knowledge he acquired over the years has been distilled to lessons that we can all understand and use. Ray explains what his business core skill training is all about, creating a mindset to be better, where performance, passion, and purpose unite. For Ray, mindset and mental fortitude is what separates those who make it and those who struggle. We hear amazing stories of resilience and determination from the RTE show, Special Forces Ultimate Hell Week, where 24 civilian recruits take part in a grueling Special Forces selection course designed by Ray and other members of the elite unit, the Army Ranger Wing. We unpack composure, a superpower according to Ray, confidence, team building strategies, and the essence of leadership. Ray Goggins, thanks very much for speaking to the two of us on this beautiful sunny day in Ireland. How are you getting on? Absolutely great, David. Yeah, look, here, listen, thanks for having me on. Um, it'll be, I look forward to our chat and uh, hopefully not today, tonight questions, Sophie, all kind of straightforward ones. It'd be, it'd be good. Ray, it's lovely and sunny in Dublin here. So I have to know, what's, what did you do today? What's a typical day like for you? Okay, today probably wasn't a typical day, to be fair. I was doing some stuff in the book and I spent a bit of time signing 700 copies of it to go off summer um which kind of took a big kind of chunk of me lunch but uh my normal day i suppose for me um this year so i started my own training business uh called course skill training um at the start of this year all because of you know covid lockdown i've been doing stuff with other people in the past and i decided look i'm going to try this myself so i have a couple of clients that i do you know uh, high performance training with team building leadership stuff um and it's all very interesting so my normal day is probably preparing for either delivery of such um kind of briefs or liaison with other people or training and then i have you know the background of stuff for the tv show and then obviously the book i mentioned already so that that's kind of where i am at the moment so the, the answer the short answer 
after that elliptical answer is there is no normal day at the moment there is no normal day um we were going to promote the book anyway but we'll, we'll get to the book say we're going to be buying a copy each and say if i saw you in easton's and o'connor street and i said ray you know I'd love an inscription on it. I'd love you to say, dear David, what what would the inscription be? Do you have a go-to piece? Um, I don't really. I try and personalize it to whatever link I have with a person. So in your case, it would be probably high performance related or something like that. You know, and I try and keep it light and, you know, a bit of humor. So it would be something along the lines of you might get some tips out of this in your high performance podcast or whatever, something along those lines, you know, so yeah. So the book's Ranger 22 Lessons from the Front. We often ask people that have come on this and, you know, they've written a book or a book's coming out. Why would you be the one to write that book? What is it about Ray Goggins that compelled you to put pen to paper and to be coming out with that in a couple of months? Why was that the book for you? Yeah, uh, well, to be honest, I suppose I have to allude to the show. I wouldn't have done it without that. And that was very much a part of it. Um, After series two, the publishing team that I work with now Gil uh, approached me and asked me would I be interested in the, in the book so you know I thought about it I said okay what have I to offer here what am I going to write about is it going to be a war story is it going to be a mills and boom romance whatever it's going to be right and I said okay um, I had a particular way I wanted to do it and I, I thought it was good for me to do it because I'm not still serving I've gone past my um, military career I had another career as a private security contractor, so on and so forth. Now I'm in a kind of a training mentor role. So I was able to kind of, you know, use that time frame to kind of, you know, think about things that happened and maybe, I won't say soften them, but maybe make them more palatable to people and how they can maybe learn from it. Because like, I know my EQ was quite good. I'm quite good at building relationships with people very quickly. It's something I've done all my life. And uh, maybe that's kind of what pushed me to write the book because I didn't want it to be just a book for people who are interested in military, like the life lessons I've kind of portrayed in this book are for all kinds of people, I think. Speaking of the EQ piece, was it something that you were always aware of or what kind of process was it that made you become happy and confident in yeah, your emotional well, intelligence? Absolutely. Like being the youngest of a large family uh, would get your EQ fairly rolling quickly because you have to be able to understand and read people um, very quickly. And having a load of big brothers and big sisters who were handy with their fists, you need to know what what kind of um, what their mindset is and how they're feeling. So, no, I, I think I always just kind of, I suppose we all enjoy people, but I just like different types of people, and I always try and look for a spark in someone or something I can work with, even if they're not a particularly, you know, nice person or whatever. Like if people don't get on with them, so on and so forth. That never bothered me. I never, even as a young man and even as a teenager kind of phrase like you'd never judge somebody by what people say about them you judge them by what they say about other people and i always found that as my kind of go to piece when i deal with people and that's kind of where it went from with me you kind of struck a chord there the question i had asked was you come in contact with someone you're you're, you're we're physios we're, we're meeting people all the time clients and patients and how do you understand their perspective and what they're going through because as soon as you build that rapport and relationship well you're already off to a winner what do you see as detrimental in that or what do you see really works well yeah like obviously having empathy for where somebody is is it can be complicated if you're over empathetic um you become ineffective so if it's someone you need to work with in a team like you don't need to be be that person you don't need to feel all their woes 
But you certainly need to understand cognitive empathy and be aware of, you know, what they deal with or what their kind of failings are or what they have to do to complete their task and so on and so forth. And even if you have that little connection with someone and you're trying to get motivated to do something that they don't particularly want to do, it just gives you that extra maybe 10, 15% to push them in the right direction to meet your goal or your, your team goal, if that's the case. So again, it comes down to just being aware of what's going on and how you can manage them. It's a good segue into what I've been looking at recently or when I looked at season one of the Ultimate Hell Week. A lot of people talk about the difficulty of the recruits in there. But when you're a drill sergeant and you're putting someone through them tough tasks, the difficult moments, empathy must factor into your thinking and it must be hard not to try and help that person out or try and get that person out of that arduous situation. How do you hold back and not give them that easy out so they actually achieve something better overall? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So the whole kind of uh, premises of the Hell Week process is it's uh, a representation of what we would have really done in the selection process and special operations to recruit actual soldiers, which runs for a year now these days, let me remind you. So it's it's pretty intense. Um, but for myself personally, and I know the, the lads are the same, the other three, the DS staff with me, um, you, you, you become that DS, which means you're not heartless, but you're in a testing process for those people. It's, you're not in the team yet. You're, they have to tick the boxes to get into that team. So you have to be absolutely rootless with them. And whether you want to put the hand out and help them, it, it depends. You, you can't really do it unless they come to a stage later in the week, for example, in the show, where they've aced everything and they're absolutely superb. And then maybe they just need a tiny percentage of something. Like, for example, I had an, an incident with Paul Gohora on the, the Mayo footballer when he was on Series 2 that he was coming down with hypothermia. He had completed his tasks. He had all the next tasks coming. And like, oh, we could have sat back and left him just go down with hypothermia. But we decided just to just to warm him up. That's all. It was a five-minute intervention for a man who had given his heart and soul and was one of the strongest candidates there, you know, and that's the way I would look at it. And that reflects in the real special forces as well. Because I know for myself personally, like moments where I was absolutely flat out and I would have failed or not succeeded in my endeavor only for an empathetic interaction by either a trainer or another student. So it, it's so important. It's, it's a key factor. And it's something that we forget about in high performance that, you know, you got to feel the person and you got to understand when they need a little push or if they need a kick in the arse. So it, it's a, it's a fine line, but you got to, you got to walk it. And in the earlier stages in, say, selection, I mean, we spoke to Rich Diveny a couple of months ago, just wrote the attributes, Navy SEAL, you know, experience in bud selection. And he would have said he could tell quite early whether someone was going to manage and have the grit to, to stick through it all and, and come out the other end of that dark tunnel. Can, can you see that when one of those recruits comes and joins? And do you know early on? Yeah, there's obvious, like what we call red flag signs of people. Like, you know, if someone's completely in a loo ball the first day and they're all over the place, like they're going to burn themselves out emotionally and physically. So they'll never kind of manage it. It's very hard. Like what I like to do is, you know, first impressions are are important, of course. But I I take that snapshot of them at that moment in time and I, I kind of remember it of them. But then you give them the option, give them the 24 hours to either do better or confirm what you think. But um, it, like fair play to that guy to be able to do it for every individual. It's it's hard to do in my experience. But like, yeah, with guys who are completely obvious or girls that are completely obvious, yeah, you'll get it. Um, but it goes the other way. You might see someone 
oh yeah, they're really going to get through there and they won't like. Like for me, that's the whole beauty of selection because really, yeah, you might have an idea but you never know who's going to make it to the end. It's completely up to them. And then in sports, like thinking of GAA, there's a huge focus on physical. And then at the top level, they implement so much on mental now and it's, we, we can see the benefit from that. Whereas something like in Hell Week, everybody pays tribute to the fact that it's mentally so straining and challenging. What would you say is the balance of the fitness? Would it be 50-50 mental to physical? Or what would no, you break uh, it down to? It would actually be much much higher to the mental side of it. Um, the physical, it doesn't matter how fit you are coming on Hell Week. We will get you exhausted pretty quickly. It doesn't matter. Like after your fitness goes, all you have is your heart and soul then to keep you going. So it's it's probably 75% your mindset, even higher, I would say. Uh, because like if you have that reserve of pushing you like even if you're at zero you're at empty like you can keep going like i've seen guys go at, on on nothing on fumes in their body for like hours days you know on, on operations and in trend because they have the mindset correct to get it done and what what will keep them candidates going probably a combination of um of, of things uh, in the later stages of it, um, it's the camaraderie they've made. Like when you put people in adversity, that intense environment at a short for a short period of time, they bond immediately. It's you know even in teams, you know international rugby football teams, soccer teams, whatever, they also go home after training. They also go off their other lives. So that waters down their bond. When you're doing like Hell Week, for example, they don't have phones. There's nobody else. All they have is those people in that room. So their like connection is like supersonic uh, very quickly. So that's something that helps them at the end. At the start, their motivation, I guess, is, I don't know, some people because they want to test themselves, other people because they want to, you know, get on TV and be this fit person and, I don't know, go off and open the gym or something. Um, there's, there's loads. Like the, the thing about it, I call it the why. Like the what isn't important. The what that comes at you is like jumping into water and getting tired and not sleeping and getting killed for weeks, right? That's fine. The what you'll put up with if you ha- if your why is strong enough. Your why is the most important thing. Why you're doing something. Why is it in your head? Because if your why isn't big enough, when you get to those weak moments where you're at zero, that's when the thought process goes to, oh, what am I doing here? And like your biggest enemy then is yourself if your why isn't big enough. If your why is good, you're, you'll get through anything. And that's mindset. And I mean, you said 70%. When we look at the best military, NBA players, NFL, GA, CrossFit athletes, that's what seems to amplify and elevate everything across the board. So what what would you train in terms of the mindset space? The two of us go into you tomorrow. We want to improve our mindset. We want to sharpen up that side of us to give ourselves a better chance to excel the next day. What yeah. do you look at and what do you work on? So for us, like how we do it in selection in the real world, um, in special forces is, you know, you break that team down to zero and it's a vulnerability piece we work on where they're in a position where they're absolutely, they've all seen each other at their worst. And then the next phase of it is to build them into their skill set and improve. So how you work in the mindset is by instilling more confidence, working on their decision-making process under pressure. Like you make a position of adversity all the time. So every little thing they do all day is pressurized. So it becomes the norm for them. So that straight away gives them their mindset is improved. They're more confident. They're more confident in their colleagues. They're more confident in themselves. 
And the most important thing with mindset and being mindful, people don't understand, especially forces, they think like, you know, you're an assault more and it just goes in and shoots people. There's so much else to that. Like the mindful side of it is more important where you're aware of what's going on, both inside your head and outside around you. You're focused 100% on the task. When I'm saying 100%, you're not thinking about your shopping list or what you're going to do when you're finished. You're 100% focused on that task and nothing else. And they're two of the main things that will help a guy go forward. So that's what we'd work on with people and, and give them that ability to do that at the drop of a hat. And there's certain techniques, obviously, and routines and drills we would practice continually and, you know, to make that work. And let's talk about core skill training, you know, mindset, merging of performance, passion and purpose, like big words, profound words that really resonate to uh, to everyone probably listening to this today. Kind of where did this where did that movement start for you, like the core skill piece and kind of what what are you hoping it becomes? Um, for me, I suppose goal wise for it, how it started, I had been doing it, assisting other groups, you know, on a smaller scale. Um, I had got some inroads from people because of the show and other things. And don't forget, like I spent, you know, before the book and all this and the show were 2019, the 30 odd, 32, three years before that, I was building myself as, you know, a normal soldier first, then a special forces soldier, instructor, teacher, trainer. So we had that loop of, you know, your operation, then you go back to training, your operation, you go back to training. So it's a natural fit for me to be, I found to be able to kind of, move that on to other people um, so it's not that I find it easy to do I just think that I have a knack to identify teams maybe and help them build a little bit so that's kind of where it came from I decided I'd kind of do it this year and see how, how, how well not see how it went out it's going to work of course it's going to work because that's the nature of the person I am I make it work and that's the way it is the kind of um, so that's and the mindset for me then was and what the goal of it like I, I just would like it to, to establish it like I've given it this year to kind of see how it works as in my delivery and all the different people I'll, I'll, you know, work with and all that. And then I'll kind of come up with kind of um, a process then for next year, whereas I'll refine things better, which I do. It's very bespoke kind of service, I guess, to people. Like everyone wants different things and everyone has different failings. Like, you know, if you're working with a group, you don't just come in with a party line saying, okay, we'll do this, 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 and this and fix it. You have to, observe what they're doing first and what isn't going wrong because or what is going wrong should i said they mightn't tell you what's going wrong they might not even know what's going wrong you have to watch it identify it and that's what you target with people so that's kind of what i've done all my career really you know like it's especially in special forces you know it's um it's just the will to win the will to get on with it get it done and to be as effective as you can all the time not just you know when the lights are on all the time and then we're talking about connection and teams. Often we see teams with the most trust who've been most vulnerable around each other generally tend to bond and do better as a whole. Synergistic approach happens or outcome happens at the end of it. If a business or a team were looking for maybe a few tips or something that they could get a better process for them without going through that hell week for its whole entirety, is there any little exercises they can do to get each other on board to understand each other better? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's there's not it's not rocket science. You know, it's 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 simple, but it isn't easy because the most important thing is you need for a team who wants to attain that high performance status that we all talk about. 
you have to have a buy-in and people have to be willing to do a warts and all process. So where that starts is like absolutely open and honest conversation about what's good and what's bad, like your own faults, your own fears and problems. And, you know, I I do a piece on that with people, um, kind of more extreme version of it, where I get them to point each other's problems out and so on and so forth, or a softer version where I get them to talk about it themselves. And it's so kind of um, takes a chains off routine because like if you're not with someone all the time and look special forces and the military is probably I won't say the ultimate way to build a team but it's it's, it's pretty extreme like it's it's for, I haven't seen another organization outside the military that can create that bond like that but uh, you can give snippets of that bond to people and if, if a company or group or team are willing to open their soul and be willing to kind of fix something because they're passionate about doing it they want to do well then you can do so much with them. And say if something breaks uh, in any environment, like resilience is a word we've heard an awful lot about in the last couple of years, and it's something close to home for the two of us here. You you would be the man to talk to about building resilience and understanding it and sense-making it. Yeah. What, 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 do, what do you do with individuals when you're trying to help them get back to where they were or even get back stronger? Yeah, well... Like resilience is the buzzword, you know, since we had our lockdowns and everybody has their own kind of, you know, I won't say version of it. That's not fair to say that, but their own view on it, let's say. Um, for for my side of it and like all resilience is, right, is ability just to keep going. And when things go wrong, you know, all, all these things. So how it's learned, there's there's three important ways, I guess, you learn resilience. So first of all is by experience. So you teach, you tell someone, look, you've done this before. This is what happened. This went wrong, but learn from it, you know, and th- that's an important part. Um, you learn then from um, a learned version of resilience. For example, when you're a child and you lick a seven volt ba- battery and it, it burns your tongue, you either like it and you do it again or you don't do it again. So you're becoming resilient there straight away. And I suppose the last and kind of most important part of it is your personality is a huge part of it. Like some people are naturally more resilient um, and they're easier. I won't say easier, but it's, it's, they kind of can get more out of it. I can go further with, with it because like everything else, it's a scale. Like we all have different levels of resilience for different things. Um, so they're kind of the three ways I work on it and, and deal with it with people, if that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for that. If you're looking to transition from being a part of the team then to being the leader of a team and you've gone from working alongside these people, you've had that connection with them, is there a, a mode that's best used for pro- that process of the transition to then become the figurehead of that group? Yeah, um, in my career in special operations, there's a kind of when you're ready for the next level, there's a kind of a natural progression for you when you've kind of ticked enough boxes and got enough scares or whatever. You, you know there's an actual progression where you you move up and it's quite slow really because there's a lot of stuff to learn as you as you go um but but it happens uh for, for me i suppose if you're talking about the leadership wise when you do get into that role so i suppose just to explain it when i started in that, in that special ops unit in a six-man team as the junior man even though i had nine years experience in the military at this stage you know i was back to, to zero and and that moment of an operation in special forces having been overseas 
four times and you know with the army and the un and experienced you know shelling and shooting and death and all these things like that step into the special forces world and that trans- transition it's a new life it's a new state of mind it's it's you're like you're no longer in in the army it's 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 so heightened what happens so the leadership side of that for me when you do learn and you become a leader there's two like you've any amount of methods of leadership i'm sure you, you boys would be know, know all about that but there's two that i know that i would have used in the, in the military um the first obviously is the consultative approach so when everything is all hunky-dory and you're training you know you're asking your team leaders you're asking your team how are we going to do this you know we plan as a group we challenge each other whether you're the commander or not we challenge that's the way it is like diversity rocks because if you think you have all the answers then that's where the problem starts because you're going to overlook something if you look down your nose at stuff you won't see what's going on so that that's that consultative is so important to build the second part of leadership for me then is the dictatorial so when you're in a situation where you know for example there's bullets flying there's things going on and it's highly pressurized then you can't be asking people their opinion you just tell them their opinion and that's how it works and that's the simple fact of it so if that if that kind of i don't know probably sounds a bit uh unusual but that, that's the way it works in special ops now people will get look i know all the processes of teaching leaders and building them but in in the real world that's the way it is like when you can take people's advice and have the time great when you don't you just get on with it they're there to do the fighting you're there to tell them how to do the fighting that's it and we're in an office, so bullets aren't quite flying over our heads, but sometimes it feels like it. It so feels funny. like it, right? But uh, that's, they just have no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, composure. It's a some. It's a word we've seen on your website. It's a word we actually haven't really unpacked a whole lot on this show, and the ability to stay relaxed and centered and present when everything's falling apart and the pressure's really creeping in on you. That's probably what sets a lot of people apart that excel. Um, what's your take on composure and how can we learn a little bit more about that for ourselves? Yeah. For, from like from any, anything you do in your life, um, whether it's high performance, like composure is probably one of the top three to be composed and calm. It's actually a superpower if you can do it, because what that does in essence to other people, if something is going wrong, like it doesn't have to be something extreme, like the shootout. It could be, you know, a family, kind of tragedy or whatever you're in a crash you know someone collapses on the street in front of you one of the kids gets sick like it works like that as well if you have that ability to just be aware of what's going on it comes back to what i said about being mindful just understanding it and there's very simple techniques you can do to keep yourself composed um you know like very simple breathing techniques that we used to do back in the day you know before you do an assault or whatever that's um, you, you just steady yourself you do almost like a cognitive procedure where you, you, you kind of think through the next 10 seconds what you're going to do. And you go and do it. And then you, if you have to do it again, compose yourself again, you do it again, do your breathing technique, and then you think about the next 10 seconds after that. Like if, if you kind of break it down to small steps, your ability to remain calm and composed when there's mayhem or things going wrong, it'll definitely be better because you make better decisions. You know, you're better dealing with people and you make people react better and you make them better at what they're doing yeah that's such an interesting point like we just finished a book on um mindfulness and talking about separating reaction and response and finding that moment 
to just take a, a slight step back, recalibrate, and how can I approach this and not react all the time? I think that's really what you're alluding to there with being composed. Uh, absolutely. You just said it much better than I did. <laughs> just because I, I, 10% happier, Dan Harris, shout out to you. Sounds <laughs> yeah, brilliant. No, look, it's it's a key it's a key vac- factor. And look, in, in, my, in my career, you know, you have certain muscle memory training you do, you know, how to draw your weapon correctly, actions if this happens, and everyone is drilled and trained to react automatically to this. But you're right, like, when it comes down to those moments then where you have a chance to compose, and it's something you can do in, in my former career, you can do it in a corporate environment, you can do it on a training pitch, you can do it anywhere. It's so important. Like, and people don't understand they just kind of run away with their emotion and their kind of not composed approach the moments you speak of sometimes they're the ones where we actually get the most growth so we actually walk into them we bring ourselves to that adversity in order to become better do you have a a process or anything to get yourself you know even writing the book must have been strange for you after serving 26 years in the army to then take on another another task like that it would be daunting for myself to think about is there a process you have to really keep on that line to keep on that task that you're trying to do for example if we're thinking of ga players or someone listening to this like a golfer is there a, t- a set bit of advice you'd give to someone to stay in that discomfort and grow in it well that's absolutely it you've hit the nail on the head there like if you keep yourself out of that zone where you're happy like if you take small bits of intensity, even in your normal week, like, okay, sometimes I get it in business. What I do now, you know, physically, I give myself a good hair workout once in a week and then it's just normal ones the rest of it because that pressure on your body and mind for that hour, like helps you and, you know, it, it prepares you. But in the long run, what you're saying, like if you're used to adversity and dealing with it all the time, like there's, there's not a whole lot will show you off either. Like, yeah, you might not have the physical skills to deal with something, for example, but you'll pull in someone who can. I'll give you an example. Um, I worked as um, a director for a company called Bizu. It was a fashion app, right? Believe it or not, for a year. And I was tasked with running what was the biggest e-com fashion shoot in the history of Ireland um, two two years ago in Kylemore. So going for two weeks, hundreds and hundreds of shops, models, blah, blah, blah. And I did it with the team I had because I pulled in the people who know what they were doing and I just managed them. It's just a process. Like it's not the stress of an event, you know, is the stressor. It's your reaction to it. And if you take that moment and take those three seconds, you, you your, your decision-making is better. Your approach is better. And your chance of being successful and effective is absolutely like multiplied. And Ray, do you have any practices to kind of, you know, decompress or downregulate. We we talk a lot about health and well-being and the work we do. And when you're doing focus, giving, you know, switched on all the time, it's important to, you know, preserve your energy so that you can be back on again. What do you do? What strategies do you have? I kind of have two strategies. So when I'm kind of working, no matter where I'm working, even when I was in the military, like what I'm doing now, you know, when I was, whatever I was doing, there's three things I always try and, do every day and it comes down to what you're saying about being mindful of looking after yourself like and health there's three things i try and feed every day so obviously the body is the first one so you know that's what your nourishment training health so important looking after that second thing is feeding your mind by being 
you know, curious, learning stuff, not thinking you know it all. There's always something to learn and someone, everybody has something to teach you, no matter what their position is or, you know, how high up or down the chain they are. And the last thing then is your soul. Like you have to feed your soul on a daily basis. However you manage to do that by keeping yourself happy, doing stuff you enjoy, doing stuff that just give you that feeling of, you know, being of wellness, of, you know, calm, of happy, whatever that is for you. So there are three things I do every day, no matter what I'm doing, if I can. Um, and a kind of a, a decompression kind of thing I do, I just do the normal stuff. Like I like reading, training works for me. Um, if I have an issue and something I need to work out in my head, I go for a run or I you know, go swimming or whatever, and I usually have it solved. Um, and I know if I'm not in good form, my wife will hand me my runners and launch me. Say, get out there. Get, and get going, will you? Off the top <laughs> and sort out that. I'm not listening to it anymore. So like, yeah, that's kind of what I do. So like, I, I try not to let things build up because I suppose in my past that has happened to me and um, I let kind of, you know, things build up in my head and it wasn't, it's not a good environment to be in, you know, or, or good for you. So you got to learn how to get rid of negative stuff on a daily basis and get all the good stuff in, whatever that is for you. And just to build on people teach us lessons all the time, who gave you the greatest lesson in your life? And what was it and how did it impl- impact what you do? Yeah, there's so many people like I, I could give you loads, right? Let me, I suppose the greatest lesson I ever got in my life was from my, my mother um, who passed away a number of years ago. And what she always said was, and look, it's, it's probably, it'll sound like a very simple statement, but she lived it was to do good things. Even when people aren't looking, she always used to say that and she lived it and do I live that now? I try to. I try to. But that's probably the best advice or the best um, kind of example I ever got in my life. And it's something I try to carry through all my life. And Ray, we, we've talked a lot about what's what's going on, what's going on in the future. And obviously you have your book coming out, which we're really looking forward to, to reading and sharing with everyone. What, what else is on the horizon? What are you excited about? What's the next big thing coming on in the future? Yeah, so, yeah, look, for me at the moment, um, yeah, I have like with the training business, I'm really kind of enjoying that. You know, it's it's going to move on um, from strength to strength. I, I I imagine it's it's all very positive. People are enjoying what I'm doing. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Um, I suppose TV stuff. Then there's more kind of um, there's talks and potentially maybe more Hell Week stuff coming down the line. Um, and look here, if you told me like two three years ago, I'd be, I'd have written a book and I'd be on the telly. I just said, are you joking me? You just have to be prepared for anything to come at you. And like, don't knock it away the first time. Like, have a look and see, okay, do that cam process that I talked about. That it goes for positive and negative because, as you know, we're all designed that fear will come in and our brain is, isn't designed for success. It's designed to su- make survive. And that affects all our judgments every day and 100 times a day. Sometimes, like, people are more afraid of something that could be good because they're afraid of what might happen and they might be identified or whatever. So for me, that's kind of where I'm looking at. Like, I could be doing anything next year or the year after. And that's the beauty of it. It's like selection. Like, I, do, I don't know what's going to happen until it happens. Sometimes it's great. Leave out the invitation to Hell Week for us, will you? Yeah, Forget that one. Don't, you, don't like, give that to the postman. <laughs> two physios as well. Happy days. Jeez, we'd, we'd use you big time. <laughs> be working on ourselves. We'd be, be, yeah, yeah. our, be fixing ourselves. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Isn't it gas? Yeah. Just with the RTE Hell Week, there must be moments where you're just taken aback. What was the probably the most inspiring moment, we'll say, that you've ever experienced and resonated with you? 
Yeah, look, you see, like, absolutely. Like, you see people doing absolutely fantastic things and the courage of someone who, like, you know, jump off a bridge into a lake, they're afraid of heights, they're afraid of water. Like, to summon that courage is, is wanting. But for me, I suppose the highlight of, like, someone is, if I go back to Series 1, where Grace O'Rourke completed what's called Foreman Athman, which is a um, 20-odd kilometre march in mountains carrying a lot of weight. And in the military, there's been no female had completed it. And she did, like, and I remember that moment after it for her, who's a, she's a great person, and her mental strength is off the scale. Like, to get through that for me, I just thought it was just so, like, such an influence and to show what people can do when they really want it. It doesn't matter how big you are or how small you are. It's what's inside is what pushes you. Ray Goggins, um, with one last question. The dramatic pause wasn't on purpose. It was. Yeah, uh, I just thought you were fumbling uh, for stuff there. What are we asking? No, no, <laughs> no it's just that was good answers, best answers I've ever gotten. Um, we always ask everyone that comes on the show quite simply, and we've we've really gotten a full story of it. So really, really excited to ask you, what does high performance mean to you, Ray? High performance. Okay, so to me, it's a lack of ego, in that you know, and that you're willing to go all the way for, for yourself. So you, like, you won't stop yourself from doing something. And it's a buy-in um, that you're committing to do something. If you commit to something 100%, that's high performance to me. And like, just to push it on to a team environment, for me, it's been selfless. Like, I've always worked with a team. A team is the only way. You, know, you, you never do. You do okay on your own. You have to be with a team and... Setting the conditions for other people to be successful is high performance to me. Ray Goggins from the two of us here. Thank you very much for, for giving us your time. We really enjoyed it and got an awful lot of life lessons from you. Wishing you the very best and uh, looking forward to seeing what's next. Yeah, me too, lads. Me too. Listen, th- thanks thanks for chatting to me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cheers, Ray. Thanks, lads. God bless. Thanks to me, Ray. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A-Life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.